KUOZ 100.5 is an FCC-licensed radio station operated by the University of the Ozarks, Clarksville, Arkansas. Hello, and thank you for tuning in. You are listening to From the Concert Hall with your hosts Corbin Sturch and Zachary Payne. Your vintage radio program here on KUOZ 100.5 FM. Community radio produced by the Radio Television Video Department here at University of the Ozarks in Clarksville, Arkansas. From the concert hall plays some of the famous artists of the past, as well as features a few of our very own from right here at home. So sit back, relax, and enjoy as we take you live right here to our very own little concert hall. Thank you for tuning in to From the Concert Hall. I'm Zachary Payne. And I'm Corbin Sturge. This week we're going to continue on our topic of the Renaissance, looking at the music of the royal courts. But first, I guess we should start again. Uh, If you didn't tune in last week, we're going to go ahead and give you just a brief rundown of life in the Renaissance. Um, The Renaissance uh, makes its transition from the medieval to the Baroque, um, and it was a time of great change in religious, economic, and political matters. Um, which led to changes in science, philosophy, and literature. Um, this was a great time, actually, for changes and uh, big steps in literature, music, and art. Right. With this change, also, we got the change in the church with the Protestant Reformation, where we saw the split in the church with Luther. He nailed his 95 thesis to the door of the church in Wittenberg, and then from there, eventually was excommunicated established his own church, and really changed the world of Christianity as we know it. With him, priests could get married. You didn't. There was no more purgatory, at least in his new church, the Lutheran church, the Protestant church. Mm-hmm. Uh, you didn't pay to get into heaven anymore. That was one of his big problems. You got into heaven through actually having real love in Christ, real belief in Christ, and really dedicate, really dedicating yourself to Christ. Absolutely. You also had a few other changes, like um, the start of, what was the name of the one that King Henry VIII started? Ah, the Anglican Church, the Church of England. That's right. He uh, started his church, um, broke away from the Catholic Church, and that was due to his want to divorce his fifth or sixth wife. Um, because none of his wives before could bear him any sons. <laughs> right. That was in 1536, which is 20 years after Luther. But from that, and from these two churches, at least from the Anglican Church, we get the Episcopal Church, which is what we know it in America, which is part of the Anglican Communion, the Church of England. But from Luther, we also got Methodist, Baptist, Lutherans, of course. That's what we call them now. Mm-hmm. All the Protestant faiths we know came from this huge split that was started by Luther. Absolutely. So, huge time in change for Christianity. Also, part of that due to, uh, I guess, what you would consider, or could consider, to be psychologist John Locke. Um, back in the time, he had a lot of interesting ideas on the basic human rights that people are born with, which a lot of which were translated uh, into some of Martin Lu- uh, Luther's work. 
Right. And um, so that was the beginning of that. We also had a, a time of great literature, like I said earlier. Uh, this was the time of Shakespeare in England and all of his great plays. His Globe Theater, which is where the same standing room only comes from because the basic ticket entry fee um, was down the floor. There were no seats, so standing room only. Um, this is also a great time for art with Michelangelo, Donatello, Leonardo, you know, all the Ninja Turtles. <laughs> um, <laughs> so it was a great time of art, great time of change, uh, amazing pieces, just phenomenal work that people have been trying to replicate doing something that great since. Just, just to make it clear, though, the Ninja Turtles weren't from the Renaissance. The Ninja Turtles were named after Renaissance artists and inventors. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> And so this was a great time just in change all around. You had uh, your first actual composers who were being published, like Talis, who was actually got special permission from the Queen of England to publish his pieces uh, using England's printing press. And so this was a great time for musicians as well to finally have a name for themselves as their music was being sent out on actual paper. And people could replicate it, play it, in wherever they were from. And it was an awesome time for that. Right. Movable type was a big thing. And with movable type, you know, we got the Bible being mass-produced. And, of course, a big part of the Bible being mass-produced was Luther wanting the Bible to be in the vernacular, the common language of the people, instead of just Latin. So anyone could read it and enjoy it. Absolutely. But, you know, that movable type, like you said, we got music being mass-produced. People were able to print music in bulk instead of taking a day or so to make one page, two pages of music, now we can put out a couple hundred in one day. Exactly. If not more. And so this was huge. And also a great time of technological advancements. I mean, you had uh, the great uh, inventor, you know, Leonardo, Leonardo da Vinci of... Uh, of Italy, he had so many great ideas. Had the first blueprint for a helicopter, just tons of yep. different kinds of things, and um, so this was a great time of mental stimulation. Um, and the church finally wasn't oppressing people because they had bigger matters going on, like people making their own churches, and so they couldn't <laughs> micromanage people anymore. And so this was a great time for music to become bigger, art to become bigger, literature, everything. Of course, we'll get into that too a bit tonight about the church's struggles with people, trying to micromanage people, and, you know, even the split of what became known as the Holy Roman Empire. Exactly. Um, Corbin, would you like to start us off tonight? What music are we looking at? Well, we're going to start out by looking at the Burgundian court music from Burgundy in the area of France. Do you want to tell us a bit about that? Absolutely. Um, the Burgundian era... Uh, was early Renaissance uh, around the very end of the Hundred Years' War. Um, this uh, this court specifically was uh, ruled by Philip the Good, or Philippe de Bon in French, or also known as Philip the Third, Duke of Burgundy, um, from 419 when he rose to power until his death. Um, he moved around a lot from Br uh, Brussels to Bergs to Lier. He was moving around a lot, but um, he was a great person for art in the time. Uh, he was part of the cadet line in the Valois family, which was at the time the royal family of France. During his rule of Burgundy, uh, he became a prominent area for fine arts, like I had said. He was also well known for his patronage of Flemish composers and artists, uh, such as Guillaume Binocci and Jean Van Eyck. Uh, he's also credited for the capture of Joan of Arc at the end of the Hundred <laughs> Years' War, so that was kind of huge. 
getting ready to burn someone. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So Philip the Good or Philip the Third or Philippe de Bon, however you know him as, um, he had a lot of good changes, did a lot of stuff with uh, with his court. Um, his court was very extravagant. He held great f- uh, feasts, paid artists and composers well. Uh, artists and composers from all other areas during his reign would actually come to him to be paid because that he was the highest paying uh, patronage of the time. Um, he loved all forms of art, including clothing. In fact, it's estimated that during 1444 to 1446, he spent 2% of the, tax pay, uh, the taxes from his kingdom <laughs> on silk and uh, golden clothes. For himself. For himself and his court. 2% oh my goodness. of the country's money was spent <laughs> on clothes. <laughs> Could you imagine if our leader said that today and that got out? Yeah, that wouldn't be good. People would not be happy. But, so, he was a very extravagant person. Uh, he also even started his own uh, order of knights, known as the Order of the Golden Fleece. I um, wonder where that came from. <laughs> can't imagine. But um, this Order of Knights uh, was actually, like, their rules of chivalry um, were actually based off the Knights of the Round Table. The mythical Knights of the Round Table. Not necessarily <laughs> mythical, but there's a lot of stories of the Knights of the Round Table. And... That's where he based his, like, chivalry on for his knights. And while he did start his own knights, um, at one point he tried to start a crusade on the Ottoman Empire. That didn't really go anywhere or even really get started. Um, So his knights mostly just went uh, throughout the areas just competing with each other. And that was pretty much the Order of the Golden Fleece. Basically a big sports team at the end of the day is what it sounds like to me. (laughs) (laughs) Pretty much. So he was a very extravagant person. He paid very well to artists and composers and was at the very beginning of the Renaissance. And so this gives us a real great feel and setting the mood for uh, what pieces we're about to listen to. Right. But before, before we do that, Zach, you do know a very interesting part, a very interesting bit about French, the French courts. Am I right? Uh, a mix of dance from last week and this week. Oh, absolutely. Um, actually, uh, as we get into uh, King Louis, um, I want to say the seventh. I have to double check my facts on that one. But um, King Louis, he uh, actually forced uh, the nobles of his court to learn ballet, and their standing in his court um, depended depended on how good they were at the ballet and the fiddle and other musical instruments and other fine arts. And he did this partly, I'm sure, to entertain himself. (laughs) But um, the other part was actually so that he could keep his nobles so busy trying to rank themselves up inside his court that he could basically get away with whatever he wanted. Because if you're spending eight hours a day learning how to do this dance, you're not going to be able to notice the little things that he's getting away with. Right. <laughs> and so it was really smart on his part that he did that, but actually that's where this our that's where France's real big jump into ballet came from was him tricking slash force, forcing however you want to put it, his nobles into dancing for him. <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine some dancers who might be listening out there getting really happy thinking, Hmm, if I could just if I just had a time machine the role I'd have in France in that era. <laughs> exactly. But um, going into the music of this court, like Zach said, it's the early music of the Renaissance. It's early on. This is just moving out of the Troubadourian era where you saw the traveling musician. Here, musicians 
were really, really specialized. It were people who were paid well, and this is what they did all the time, was work in the courts or for the church. They were basically the first form of a true professional musician. And you'll still hear a lot of that Trudorian style in this music. So I hope you're able to hear it, and I hope you can hear how that style is still there, both from the medieval era and the early Renaissance, because this is the time when it is, but also how it's starting to change, how it's a bit higher, and there's a bit more richness behind us, a bit more richness behind us, it's a bit more lavish. And also, keep this in mind as you listen to this, um, you'll hear uh, some of the choral parts with some of these pieces. Um, these choral parts and the voices that you're hearing, they're not women. <laughs> they are male singers who have quite the range. The reason why they kept so true to this, uh, even inside our recordings that we have, is that in this t- particular time of music, women still didn't hold a role inside music or inside the courts. And so as people would perform for these courts, they wouldn't showcase women performing. And so as you hear these high notes, it is a guy. Right. You you hear a lot about the Catholic Church, you know, using men and young boys, the men being made into eunuchs to keep their singing voice intact, so to speak, so they never hit puberty. Well, that wasn't just true of the church. It was true all over the place. Exactly. A male soprano, as it's put, um, was very popular in that time, and now it is extremely rare because people typically don't become eunuchs just for a higher voice. I don't really think that worked either, did it? I think it... Hmm. Stumped me on that one. But... <laughs> <laughs> Sorry um, about that. Oh, no, you're fine. Um, he... But with that, um, male sopranos now are still a thing. You can find them. Uh, they have excellent range. And um, I know some that you can't even tell that it is a man singing. It sounds like just a soprano and a good one at that. I can think of only one I knew. And he was a male soprano as kind of a joke. I remember going to, um, I think it was All Region Choir, and he auditioned as a male soprano just just for laughs and giggles, and lo and behold, he not only got a role as a male soprano in an all-female section, but he got a fairly high chair. <laughs> <laughs> and that's why they don't allow guys to do that anymore. <laughs> uh, but enjoy, and we hope you can hear both that tributarian style and the change and this early court music of the Burgundian court. Thank you. 
Thank you for tuning in. You are listening to From the Concert Hall here on KUOZ 100.5 FM, community radio from University of the Ozarks here in Clarksville, Arkansas. Thank you for tuning in to From the Concert Hall. I'm Zachary Payne. And I'm Corbin Starch. If you're just now joining us, welcome. You're still catching us really early in the program as we look at the music of the Royal Courts tonight. But if you've been listening in, you just heard the music of the Burgundian Court from the area of Burgundy around France. Moving on from there, we go to the German Court of Maximilian. Why there? Well, maybe because he married Mary of Burgundy, a very prominent woman from Burgundy, the Burgundy area of France. Maximilian was a Holy Roman Emperor, but he was never actually crowned by the Pope as the Holy, as the Holy Roman Emperor. He actually took over from his father, Frederick III, and ruled with his father the last ten years of his father's regime. He wasn't crowned by the Pope, not because the Pope didn't like him or didn't choose him, but actually because the journey from Germany at that time to Rome and Italy was just too dangerous. It was still a very inhospitable area. Hmm. It's very interesting. You know, later on in his life, around 1501, Maximilian suffered a terrible injury. He fell off his horse. This caused a knee injury that was actually quite devastating to him. It caused great pain when he walked, and because of this, he started traveling with his coffin everywhere. That's it's kind of morbid. <laughs> Not actually traveling in the coffin, of course, mm-hmm. but it was it was always in the carriage behind him. <laughs> yeah, I guess he was just waiting for it to happen. Definitely. Psychologists and historians today say that Maximilian was... Um, Morbidly depressed. I, As a psychology major, I would say that's a pretty apt description. <laughs> um, he also was known for his love of armor. And because of this, he kind of developed his own style of armor called the Maximilian Armor, which, was no, which focused not on the etchings of the armor, not the engravings, but actually in the shape of the metal. Zach, can you tell us a bit about the Maximilian Armor? Sure, um... Uh, not to know much about the actual how the armor was made or any different uh, styles in which it was made, but I can describe it a little bit, uh, or at least uh, familiarize it. Um, for those of you who may have seen Robin Hood Men in Tights, popular movie, all the knights inside that movie as they shamble around exceptionally loudly, um, that one, they, uh, they're wearing Maximilian armor, and for our gamer Listeners, people who uh, like to play any video games, if you've played Dark Souls, the metal armor that you see in that is Maximilian armor. Now, not just those games, but or that sh- movie, but a lot of the actual knight's armor that we think of f- is Maximilian armor, correct? Yes. Um, if you're thinking Templar knight, then that's not it. But if you're thinking, I guess, uh, medieval knight with uh, really extravagant armor in your mind, what you're thinking of, that really, like, that curved, nice round armor, not bucket armor, that armor is the Maximilian armor. So (laughs) if you can imagine that in your head, then you've got a pretty good idea of it. Looking at pictures earlier of the armor, you know, it's very decorative, like you said. There was even one that had, what do you call it, the built-in mustache? Built-in mustache armor. <laughs> it had the uh, the uh, metal that had been bent towards the uh, wearer's nose, and also had a metal mustache that was curled out, even. And so, I imagine built towards his mustache. You know, we they, they thought of everything, didn't they? 
you had to back then. The facial hair was exceptionally important. <laughs> but of course. <laughs> so, you know, moving on from Bur- the Burgundian courts in Burgundy to the Germanic courts now, it's, it's a noticeable change. You definitely hear the influence from the French area. And I don't know if that would be considered because some people came with Mary from Burgundy and she brought her influences to the court or if it had just traveled with the troubadours to that area of Germany. But we definitely hear those influences there, at least in some of the first pieces. But to the other two works in this court collection, we hear the harpsichord, and we also hear the fiddle and the dulcian, and again, that lovely countertenor. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's wonderful. And earlier I realized that's the way I was talking. I might have offended any countertenors or mel sopranos as uh, some people know them as um listeners earlier if we have any in the area um i'm not saying they're bad there are some very good ones uh one of our professors dr gorman uh graduated with a good friend of hers um uh, and he was quite the uh mel soprano he also had a bass voice as well he could sing bass all the way up to soprano and uh Inside one of my classes with her, she had us listen to some of his music. And until she told us that that was a male soprano, none of us could tell. And still listening to him, it's hard to believe that he is a actual male. I always feel so ignorant whenever I hear a male soprano because I always still want to think it's a woman. And it's that terrible feeling to sit there and think that, oh, I just thought that this was a woman when really it's a man who can sing this high and this lovely. Absolutely. So we're about to hear the music of the German courts, and when you listen to it, sit back and think. Try to hear the influences from the French and the troubadours, but hear the change that would later become part of the Baroque era, because we'll start to hear it here too. This is, you know, the middle of the Renaissance. Early, it's still verging on early middle. So, enjoy. This is the German court music. Mein Freund ist Bergen, 
KUOZ 100.5 is an FCC-licensed radio station operated by the University of the Ozarks, Clarksville, Arkansas. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to From the Concert Hall here on KUOZ 100.5 FM, community radio from the University of the Ozarks here in Clarksville, Arkansas. Thank you for tuning in to From the Concert Hall. I'm Zachary Payne. And I'm Corbin Sturch. Thank you to everyone who's been sitting with us through tonight as we look at the music of the Royal Courts. So far we've heard music from the Burgundian Court out of France, and then also the Germanic Courts of the Emperor Maximilian. Now, in that last set, we heard the first piece being sung about Innsbruck, which is a town in Germany. Now, I'd like to give you the translation for that piece, because we talked about Maximilian being depressed. I, I, I just want our listeners to hear how depressed this translated to in the music. <laughs> exactly. Innsbruck, I have to say goodbye. I'm going my way to a foreign country. All my joy has been taken from me, and I do not know how to recover it in the misery I am in. I shall have to bear a great sorrow now which I have complained of only to my dearest darling. Ah, my dear, let poor me find pity in your heart for my having to go away. You are my comfort more than all women. I will remain you betrothed forever, as honor commands. Now it is God who must keep you and preserve you in all virtue till I return. So, you know, it's a song of going away, but in the middle of that, you can can just hear that real self-pity. Exactly, and if uh, while you were listening to it, you could hear um, it didn't necessarily even have like a somber mood to the piece at all. Even though the song was about such, something so pitiful, I guess would be the best way to put it. <laughs> I mean, the man fell off his horse. I mean, I don't know about you, but I was always told to get back on, wow. not to carry my coffin around. Clearly, no one, no one gave him the memo. Well, <laughs> eventually. He, he died. In about 1519, he died. And his son didn't take over. His son had died in 1506, which I'm pretty sure added to the grief and misery he was in. But his grandson took over, Charles V of Spain. He was known as uh, the joint ruler, the uh, Juan King of Spain. He held thr- the throne of Argonne and Castile. Argonne, of course, being Italy. Zach, can you tell us a bit about the Italian courts since that's our next topic? Absolutely. The one that we're studying, that we're listening to tonight, is the uh, Court of Medici. Um, now, the Medici court was ruled by, of course, the Medici family. The Medici family was a banking family and political dynasty. Uh, the first uh, began to really get ground under uh, Cosimo de' Medici in the Republic of Florence. Uh, they originated from uh, the Tuscan countryside, uh, so they weren't always super wealthy um, until they, after time, were able to fund the Medici Bank, which was the largest bank in Europe during the 15th century. Their family actually has quite the lineage. Um, they produced four popes of the Catholic Church. Uh, the pope's names were Pope Leo X, Pope Clement the Seventh. Uh, Pope Pius IV and Pope Leo XI, uh, as well as two regent queens of France. In 1531, they became hereditary dukes of Florence. Then in 1569, they became grand uh, 
Grand Dukes until the death of Gian Gaston de Medici in 1737. Um, and so, as you can see, this family was huge. They were very prominent. They were considered at one point to be the most wealthy family in Europe. I mean, that's a large amount of area and to be the most wealthy out of the kings and queens and duchesses and duchesses even. Um, this Italian family, as well as others, uh, such as uh, the Visconti, the Sforza of Milan, the Gonzaga of Mantua, and Estia Ferrera, these families really founded and fostered the birth of Italian Renaissance. And so you can look at this and see that it wasn't all the Catholic Church inside Italy. It was really these wealthy families that began the Italian Renaissance and began all the great art we've seen, the great inventions. I mean, if it wasn't for these families, the Italian Renaissance wouldn't have happened and we wouldn't have all this wonderful music. <laughs> you know, I was listening to all that, and I'm sitting here listening to you list off all these great powers this family has held and produced and I'm just thought, I'm thinking of that phrase money can't buy happiness but you know I'm, I'm gonna give a twist to that money can't buy happiness per se but it definitely can buy you power <laughs> <laughs> it can buy you power and that's still true today and even uh, also one more note about the Medici Bank um, they were actually uh, they were the ones who started the uh, double bank note keeping which is still used for debit and credit transactions today right and so that's huge i mean this family was massive um and as i was studying it uh this past week i i i saw the name i saw medici and i was like why is it so familiar to me and now reading up on them i'm like oh that's because they basically rule ruled uh <laughs> the italian renaissance yeah, we can, not just the Italian Renaissance, but most of the Renaissance, I think we can give to them. But definitely, in Italy, they were paying those artists to come in and help give those grand shows and carnivals and give back to that art and the culture there. Definitely, and musicians, of course, too. I mean, they kept themselves entertained, I am sure. Oh, yeah, I mean, whenever we were looking up Italian court music, the name that kept popping up was the Medici Court. Mm-hmm, absolutely. And... This family, credit goes definitely to them for this. And the music of their court is phenomenal. Do you want to tell us more about that? Well, we've, we've heard, like I said, the courts of France, the courts of Germany, and now we're on to the courts of Italy. It's, it's been an evolution. It's all coming from this tributarian style. So the earliest we see is those courts of France. We, we really start to see the evolution into the courts. From there, eventually, that moved to the Germany where it becomes even more profound, and we almost feel this Baroque undertones that would later become the real style of Baroque music that evolved out of the Renaissance. But, you know, now in the Italian, this has really had some time to perfect itself. Absolutely. <laughs> and, I mean, through the Medici family, you can actually see their lineage, how long they lasted. This family started out at the beginning of the Renaissance, being that they fostered it, and stayed in power uh, as duchesses of Florence until 1737, which is the beginnings of the Baroque. They lasted through an entire period and had no problems. Had multiple popes inside their lineage, queens, duchesses. It's phenomenal. I can't imagine coming from a background such as that. Right. And, I mean, you've got a family here that's withstood all that, and this music that's 
traveled through this time and evolved, when looking at the Italian courts, or at least in these pieces that you're about to hear with the Italian courts, you see that real evolution. In the beginning, you have the three carnival songs, the three songs of festivity, the songs that were the the real wealth of everyone coming together for the carnival, the court, the the big celebration. And then you also hear six polyphonic dances. You get the dance music of that court. You have that clear distinction, the two different styles coming together, mixing, merging to form its own style of that music. Absolutely. And so it's a very interesting family and very interesting court to study as they progress through the time and you can really see the changes and we hope that you enjoy the music Hey, 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 hey,
tuning in, you are listening to From the Concert Hall here on KUOZ 100.5 FM, community radio from University of the Ozarks here in Clarksville, Arkansas. Thank you for tuning in to From the Concert Hall. I'm Zachary Payne. And I'm Corbin Starch. And if you're just tuning in, you've you've missed us tonight. But, you know, don't worry. We'll be back on Thursday, like always. Absolutely. Ever faithful. <laughs> Absolutely. And uh, this Thursday we'll actually be uh, coming with a surprise guest host uh, for the show. That's right. We'll be looking at the choral music of the Renaissance. And uh, I believe we're also going to include maybe some of the uh, choral church, like the church music. That's right. Absolutely. Yeah. So hopefully we'll be able to touch base on Talos, which we've talked about for the past few weeks. You'll, you'll finally get to hear that wonderful composer we've been ranting on about. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. But uh, we would like to thank everyone for tuning in tonight. Of course. And as always, you can connect with us via Twitter at FTCH underscore KUOZ or on Instagram at From the Concert Hall Radio. Oh, I'm sorry. On Instagram at KUOZ Concert Hall or through our email from the concert hall radio at gmail.com. <laughs> you know, so many things, it's hard to keep them together. But now. If you can't find those, you can always find us in our one new location on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash from the concert hall. So we're on Facebook now, folks. Watch out. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. We finally made it. So if you have any questions for us, any, uh, I guess, any praise for the show or anything like that, feel free to throw it our way. Comments, suggestions for future topics even. Absolutely. We're open to ideas. We'd love to hear what you have to say, and we'd love to hear from our listeners. I mean, we do this for you, and you're the driving force behind the show. Absolutely. So, a big thank you from me and Corbin both. Of course. And, you know, of course this show would not have been possible tonight without our lovely friends at the Robson Library here at University of the Ozarks for supplying the record for the music. Our lovely director of advertising and publicity, Miss Sarah Nolan our executive producer, Alex Teagues, and, of course, everyone here at KUOZ. So thank you again for tuning in. And if you'd like to hear the music for yourself that we've been listening to tonight, the record call number at the library is 2106. Talk to Stuart. He'll find it for you. He loves going down to the records archives and helping anyone who wants them. So thank you all again for tuning in. This has been another episode of From the Concert Hall.